treatise on the religious affections by Jonathan Edwards. Negative sign number three. It is no sign that affections are truly gracious affections, or that they are not, that they cause those who have them to be fluent, fervent, and abundant in talking of the things of religion. There are many persons who, if they see this in others, are greatly prejudiced against them. Their being so full of talk, it's with them a sufficient ground to condemn them as Pharisees and ostentatious hypocrites. On the other hand, there are many who, if they see this effect in any, are very ignorantly and imprudently forward, at once to determine that they are the children of God and are under the saving influences of a spirit, and speak of it as a great evidence of a new creature. They say such a one's mouth is now opened. He used to be slow to speak but now he is full and free. He is free now to open his heart and tell his experiences and declare the praises of God. It comes from him as free as water from a fountain and the like, and especially are they captivated into a confident and undoubting persuasion that they are savingly wrought upon if they are not only free and abundant but very affectionate and earnest in their talk. But this is a fruit of but little judgment, a scanty and short experience, as events do abundantly show, and is a mistake persons often run into through their trust into their own wisdom and discerning, and making their own notions a rule instead of the Holy Scriptures. Though the Scriptures be full of rules, both how we should judge of our own state, and also how we should be conducted in our opinion of others, yet we have nowhere any rule but wish to judge yourselves or others to be in a good estate from any such effect. For this is but the religion of the mouth and of the tongue, and what is in the scripture represented by the leaves of a tree, which, though the tree ought not to be without them, yet are nowhere given as an evidence of the goodness of the tree. The persons are disposed to be abundant in talking of things of religion may be from a good cause, and it may be from a bad one. It may be because their hearts are very full of holy affections, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And it may be because persons' hearts are very full of religious affections, which are not holy, for still out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. It is very much a nature of the affections, of whatever kind they be, and whatever objects they are exercised about if they are strong, to dispose persons to be very much in speaking of that which they are affected with, and not only to speak much, but to speak very earnestly and fervently, and therefore persons talking abundantly and very fervently about the things of religion can be an evidence of no more than this, that they are much affected with the things of religion. But this may be, as has been already shown, where there is no grace, that which men are greatly affected with, while the high affection lasts, they will be earnestly engaged about, and will be likely to show that earnestness in their talk and behavior, as a greater part of the Jews were in all Judah and Galilee. They did for a while, about John the Baptist preaching in baptism, when they were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. A mighty ado was made all over the land, and among all sorts of persons about this great prophet and his ministry. And so the multitude in like manner often manifested a great earnestness, a mighty engagingness of spirit in everything that was external about Christ and his preaching and miracles, being astonished at his doctrine, and on with joy receiving the word, following him sometimes night and day, leaving meat, drink, and sleep to hear him, 
once following him into the wilderness, fasting three days going to hear him, sometimes crying him up to the clouds, saying, Never man spake like this man, being fervent and earnest in what they said. But what did these things come to in the greater part of them? A person may be overfull of talk, of his own experiences, commonly falling upon it, everywhere and in all companies, and when it is so, it is rather a dark sign than a good one, as a tree that is overfull of leaves seldom bears much fruit, and as a cloud, though to appearance very pregnant and full of water, if it brings with it overmuch wind, seldom affords much rain to the dry and thirsty earth which very thing the Holy Spirit is pleased several times to make use of, to represent a great show of religion with the mouth, with answerable fruit in the life, Proverbs 25, verse 24. Whoso boasts himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. And the Apostle Jude, speaking of some in the primitive times that crept in unawares among the saints, and having a great show of religion, for a while they were not suspected. These are clouds, he says without water, carried about of winds, Jude verse 4 and 12. And the Apostle Peter, speaking of the same, says in Second Peter 2 verse 17, These are clouds without water, carried with a tempest. False affections, if they are equally strong, are much more forward to declare themselves than true, because it is a nature of false religion to affect show and observation as it was with the Pharisees. Number four, it is no sign that affections are gracious, or that they are otherwise, that persons did not make them themselves, or excite them of their own contrivance and by their own strength. There are many in these days that condemn all affections which are excited in a way that the subjects of them can give no account of, as not seeming to be the fruit of any of their own endeavors, or the natural consequences of the faculties and principles of human nature in such circumstances, and under such means, but to be from the influence of some extrinsic and supernatural power upon their minds. Greatly has the doctrine of the inward experience or sensible perceiving of the immediate power and operation of the Spirit of God been reproached and ridiculed by many of late. They say the manner of the Spirit of God is to cooperate in a silent, secret, and undiscernible way with the use of means in our own endeavors, so that there is no distinguishing by sense between the influences of the Spirit of God and the natural operations of the faculties of our own minds. And it is true that for any to expect to receive the saving influences of the Spirit of God, while they neglect the diligent improvement of the appointed means of grace, is unreasonable presumption to expect that the Spirit of God will savingly operate upon their minds without the Spirit's making use of means, as subservient to the effect, is enthusiastical. It is also undoubtedly true that the Spirit of God is very various in a manner and circumstances of his operations, and that sometimes he operates in a way more secret and gradual and from smaller beginnings than at others. But if there be indeed a power entirely different from, and beyond our power, or the power of all means and instruments, and above the power of nature, which is requisite in order to the production of saving grace in the heart, according to the general profession of the country, 
then certainly it is no wise unreasonable to suppose that this effect should very frequently be produced after such a manner as to make it very manifest, apparent, insensible that it is so. If grace be indeed owing to the powerful and efficacious operation of an intrinsic agent or divine efficient out of ourselves, why is it unreasonable to suppose it should seem to be so to them who are the subjects of it? Is it a strange thing that it should seem to be as it is? When grace in the heart indeed is not produced by our strength, nor is the effect of the natural power of our own faculties or any means or instruments, but is properly the workmanship and production of the Spirit of the Almighty, is it a strange and unaccountable thing that it should seem to them who are subjects of it? agreeable to truth, and not right contrary to truth, so that if persons tell of effects that they are conscious to in their own minds, they seem to them not to be from the natural power or operation of their minds, but from the supernatural power of some other agent. It should at once be looked upon as a sure evidence of their being under a delusion, because things seem to them to be as they are, for this is the objection which is made. It is looked upon as a clear evidence that the apprehensions and affections that many persons have are not really from such a cause because they seem to them to be from that cause. They declare that what they are conscious of seems to them evidently not to be from themselves, but from the mighty power of the Spirit of God, and others from hence condemn them and determine what they experience is not from the Spirit of God, but from themselves or from the devil. Thus unreasonably are multitudes treated at this day by their neighbors. If it indeed be so, as the scripture abundantly teaches, that grace in the soul is so the effect of God's power, that it is fitly compared to those effects which are furthest from being owing to any strength in the subject, such as a generation, or a being begotten and resurrection, or a being raised from the dead in creation, or a being brought out of nothing into being, that it is an effect in which the mighty power of God is greatly glorified, and the exceeding greatness of his power is manifested. Then what account can be given of it? Did the Almighty, in so great a work of his power, should so carefully hide his power that the subjects of it should be able to discern nothing of it? Or what reason or revelation have any to determine that he does so? If we may judge by the scripture, this is not agreeable to God's manner in his operations and dispensations. But on the contrary, it is God's manner, and the great works of his power and mercy which he works for his people, to order things so as to make his hand visible, and his power conspicuous, and men's dependence on him most evident, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That God alone may be exalted and the excellency of the power might be of God, and not of man, and that Christ's power might be manifested in our weakness, and none might say, Mine own hand has saved me. So as in most of those temporal salvations which God wrought for Israel of old, which were types as the salvation of God's people from their spiritual enemies, so it was in the redemption of Israel from their Egyptian bondage. He redeemed them with a strong hand, and an outstretched arm, and that his power might be the more conspicuous, he suffered Israel first to be brought into the most helpless and forlorn circumstances. So it was in the great redemption by Gideon, 
God would have his army diminished to a handful, and they without any arms, then trumpets, and lamps, and earthen pitchers. So it was in the deliverance of Israel from Goliath, by a mighty stripling with a sling and a stone. So it was in that great work of God, his calling the Gentiles, and converting the heathen world after Christ's ascension. After that the world by wisdom knew not God, and all the endeavors of philosophers had proved in vain for many ages to reform the world, and it was by everything become abundantly evident that the world was utterly helpless by anything else but the mighty power of God. And so it was in most of the conversions of particular persons. We have an account of in the history of the New Testament. They were not wrought on in that silent, secret, gradual, and insensible manner, which is now insisted on, but with those manifest evidences of a supernatural power, wonderfully and suddenly causing a great change, which in these days are looked upon as certain signs of delusion and enthusiasm. Apostle in Ephesians 1 verses 18 and 19 speaks of God's enlightening the minds of Christians, and so bringing them to believe in Christ to the end that they might know the exceeding greatness of his power to them who believe. The words are, The eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. End quote. Now when the apostle speaks of their being thus subjects of his power, in their enlightening and effectual calling, to the end that they might know what his mighty power was to them who believe, he can mean nothing else than that they might know it by experience. If the saints know this power by experience, then they feel it and discern it and are conscious of it as sensibly distinguished from the natural operations of their own minds, which is not agreeable to a motion of God's operating so secretly and undiscernibly that it cannot be known that they are the subjects of the influence of any extrinsic power at all, any otherwise, and as they may argue it from scripture assertions, which is a different thing from knowing it by experience, so that it is very unreasonable and unscriptural to determine that affections are not from the gracious operations of God's Spirit because they are sensibly not from the persons themselves that are the subjects of them. On the other hand, it is no evidence that affections are gracious, that they are not properly produced by those who are the subjects of them, or that they arise in their minds in a manner they cannot account for. There are some who make this an argument in their own favor. When speaking of what they have experienced, they say, I am sure I did not make it myself. It was a fruit of no contrivance or endeavor of mine. It came when I thought nothing of it. If I might have the world for it, I cannot make it again when I please, and hence they determine that what they have experienced must be from the mighty influence of the Spirit of God, and is of a saving nature, but very ignorantly, and without grounds. What they have been the subjects of may indeed not be from themselves directly, but may be from the operation of an invisible agent, some spirit besides their own, but it does not thence follow that it was from the Spirit of God. There are other spirits who have influence on the minds of men besides the Holy Ghost.
are directed not to believe every spirit, but to try the spirits whether they are of God. There are many false spirits, exceeding busy with men, who often transform themselves into angels of light, and do in many wonderful ways with great subtlety and power, mimic the operations of the Spirit of God. And there are many of Satan's operations which are very distinguishable from the voluntary exercises of men's own minds. They are so, and those dreadful and horrid suggestions and blasphemous injections with which he follows many persons, and in vain and fruitless frights and terrors which he is the author of. And the power of Satan may be as immediate and as evident in false comforts and joys as in terrors and horrid suggestions, and oftentimes is so in fact. It is not in men's power to put themselves in such raptures, and many other raven enthusiasts like the Anabaptists have been the subjects of. And besides, it is to be considered that persons may have those impressions on their minds, which may not be of their own producing, nor from an evil spirit, but from the Spirit of God, and yet not be from any saving, but a common influence of the Spirit of God. And the subjects of such impressions may be of the number of those we read of in Hebrews 6, verses 4 and 5, that are once enlightened in taste of the heavenly gift, and are made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and taste the good word of God, and the power of the world to come, and yet may be wholly unacquainted with those better things that accompany salvation of spoken in verse 9. And where neither a good nor evil spirit have any immediate hand, persons, especially such as are of a weak and vapory habit of body, and a brain weak, and easily susceptible of impressions, may have strange apprehensions and imaginations and strong affections attending them, unaccountably arising, which are not voluntarily produced by themselves. We see that such persons are liable to such impressions about temporal things, and there is equal reason why they should be about spiritual things. As a person who is asleep has dreams that he is not to voluntary author of, so may such persons in like manner be the subjects of involuntary impressions when they are awake.